0: Today. We are in week two um, of our series in the book of Mark called Dirt Roads. And so we're looking forward to many more weeks uh, in this book. Uh, Last week uh, kicked it off, and and I want to just thank you so much for, if you were here last week, for being back. And then obviously, if you weren't here, make sure you check it out on our YouTube channel or whatnot or podcast. So, but anyway, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Um, We're going to have our uh, sermon today and then. After our sermon, we've got a couple of announcements, and then um, as a church family, uh, we're going to be uh, adopting our budget for 2021, just want to let you kind of know how, that, how that's going to go. Uh, parents, we are going to allow you to go get your kids, so that way some of our volunteers can come in uh, just to be a part of that, um, you know, so anyway, I'll give you more instruction at the end, but want to let you know where we're headed today, all right, where we're headed on this dirt road, all right? How many of you live on a dirt road? Anybody? Nobody? No? All right, well, how many of you have a gravel driveway? That's us. It's like, go get your car washed and then ruin it when you pull into your driveway. But uh, I'm looking forward to this as we continue to dive into Mark's gospel. By way of introduction, this many theologians believe Mark uh, got many of his stories and much of what he wrote directly from the Apostle Peter. Uh, Mark served him. And so that could be one of the reasons why the book of Mark is very uh, quick and to the point. Uh, because Mark didn't necessarily, on some of these stories, Mark wasn't necessarily uh, sitting there pinning this down as he was experiencing it. Yet he was learning of it from one of you know, Jesus' closest followers, uh, most passionate followers, Peter. Um, but either way, we mentioned last week there are some guardrails that we need to remember And that is while the Gospels are four different books written by four different people to four different groups of people, we need to understand that while maybe some of the details uh, may not be in every single Gospel, everything that each Gospel says is true. Everything that each Gospel says is true. And while Mark's take on something might be a little more succinct than John's or Luke's take on it, that's fine. It doesn't mean that what Mark says is not true, and it doesn't mean... Uh, you know, that, that, that the others are not true. It means that it is all truth. But today, we're simply speaking on the subject of a declaration of war. A declaration of war. Last week, our sermon was titled, The Beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John the Baptist, we spoke of last week, boldly foretold of the one who would follow him. He foretold of this one Jesus that... Uh, that he would he would uh, ask his followers, John's followers, to be outwardly, externally baptized for the remission of their sin, but ultimately pointing them to Jesus. And we concluded last Sunday with Jesus himself being physically baptized uh, by John the Baptist, his cousin. And so that was a, 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 an important text. Um, that incredible victory included a supernatural appearance by the Trinitarian God. Uh, god the son being baptized and 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 uh, there physically and then uh scripture said that the holy spirit um uh, he descended as a dove so the holy spirit is there present and then we heard the voice of god the father saying this is my beloved son i'm well pleased in you and so we had right there in that moment we had an appearance of the trinity one god and three persons and three persons and one god what an incredible victory that must have been. Think about the spiritual high, not just for, for Jesus uh, getting baptized and, and being an example to his followers, but to John the Baptist uh, uh, foretelling his cousin's birth and and just uh, and his ministry and just seeing Jesus be baptized, and, and there was a spiritual high. And I don't know if you've ever been there this morning, but uh, can, if you think back maybe in your life, uh, those spiritual mountaintops, maybe it was when... God moved in a real miraculous way in your life. Maybe it was the day you think back to the time when you uh, were not a believer in Jesus and you came to faith in Christ and just those those spiritual high points in your life or maybe there was a time when, you, uh, when God met a specific need for you or your family. You thought it was impossible and God somehow met a need in your life and you look back on those moments and you're like, man, this was incredible. What an awesome time of life, and uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, even, even something, a uh, family member maybe needed physical healing, and God brought them through whatever the physical need was, and he healed them, and those times where we know it's obvious God was working in lives, and those times are great victories, and they're mountaintop experiences, and those are ve- definitely important in the life of a follower of Jesus, and by the way, if you truly follow Jesus, You ought to see some of those every now and then. Maybe we don't recognize them as such, and maybe that's the problem. But if you're following Jesus, there should be times in your life where you say, listen, there's no other explanation than God took care of me right here. There's no other explanation than Jesus had his hand in everything that was going on in my life at this point. And if you're a follower of Christ, those days need to happen. But what often follows those mountaintop experiences? What often follows those experiences where we're on a spiritual high. I don't know about you, but I've seen amazing victories be quickly followed by times of testing and and trial. I've often seen major victories come in my life only to be followed, honestly, by defeats. This happens on more than one occasion in Scripture, Uh, the most popular one in Scripture being Israel defeating Israel. The children of Israel are defeating Jericho, and the walls fall down, and it's a mighty miracle of God, and there's a big high, and then what happens next? The tiny city of Ai. They, they forget to, to go into battle with God preeminent, and they are defeated by tiny Ai. And Jesus being fully committed to experiencing life as a human, just like you and just like I, he comes directly off a spiritual high. And he is met with an immediate challenge, an immediate valley, an immediate test, an immediate trial. This morning we'll be in the book of Mark in chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. If you have your Bibles, please look there. If not, it'll be on the screen for you to easily follow along. Mark in chapter 1 and verse 12. Immediately, immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. By the way, we will not spend time at the beginning of verse 14, but there's a, a whole, there's a lot more in the other gospels about John's imprisonment and ultimate death um, as a martyr. But after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen then Jesus said to them follow me and I will make you become fishers of men they immediately left their nets and followed him When he had gone a little farther from there he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who also were in the boat mending their nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. You see there was a big victory spiritually speaking. There was a mountaintop but then immediately Satan declares war. Immediately Satan says, listen, if you're going to come, Jesus, in human form, and you're going to experience everything that humans experience, I'm ready for you. And this is Satan's declaration of war. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. I pray that your word would shine through, remove any distractions today, God, and I pray we would be focused 100% on what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I want us to see Right off the bat, the temptation of Jesus. The temptation of Jesus. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. We're not going to spend a ton of time here today because Mark does not spend a ton of time on this story. We know this story has a lot more to it than what these two verses give us, but we're going to stick with Mark here in our series. But we do need to welcome to the dirt road... That we travel Satan. We need to welcome him into our travels. Um, By the way, uh, you need to make sure you understand that Satan is well versed in your travels as well. uh, Just like he is in Jesus's. Satan is not all powerful, mind you. But he is definitely aggressive and purposeful. And notice the first word of verse 12. Immediately. 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 Listen, Jesus was baptized and immediately, immediately he's driven out in the wilderness. Immediately. Satan was ready and Satan was prepared. But here's a quick note that I noticed. Notice who led Jesus into the wilderness. You can flip that verse back up there. I'm sorry. Look who it was. Immediately, who? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit. Immediately, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So therefore, we must conclude that while Satan was ready, and he was ready for this 40 days of temptation, here's what we must conclude and we must understand. It was God's plan that Jesus' life be marked by common temptation. Okay? And also marked by his unwavering power to overcome that temptation. Listen, this was not Satan going against God's plan. This is very, very obviously here in the book of Mark. This was God's plan. And can I say that every time you're tempted of the devil, don't oftentimes it's God's testing and his plan and the trial that he has for you to go through at this time. When you're going through valleys in your life, we've We've spoken about this since the very first day that we joined together as a church and we went through Psalm 23. But not every valley can we just blame on the devil. God takes us through those valleys. God leads us into the wilderness sometimes. God wants us to to experience some things sometimes that test our faith and that try our faith. And here, in the case of Jesus, God's only son, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Make no mistake, Satan was prepared. Satan was there, ready, trying to pull down and trying to break down the the mountaintop that Jesus was on, trying to draw him away into temptation. And by the way, make no mistake, Satan is always right there in your life, ready, waiting to draw you down, waiting to tempt you, waiting, he knows the areas in your life that you are most susceptible in, and he knows how he can tempt you, and the devil is waiting, just like he was, immediately waiting To tempt Jesus. Satan has declared war on all that is good. All that is holy. All that is righteous. Satan is the enemy of the truth. He's the father of all lies. And he made sure that Jesus. And those who would follow after. Knew he was there. By the way. Follower of Jesus. The devil as a roaring lion. Walks about. Seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants your. He can't have your soul, so he wants your life. He wants your marriage. He wants your children. He wants any of those, any people in your circle, in your sphere who have not believed on the name of the Son of God, he wants their lives. He wants their souls. Satan, while not all-powerful and not all-knowing, he sure does know a lot. And he sure is pretty powerful. We won't get into... All the theology and the doctrine of how Satan works, he kind of works the same way in 2021 as he worked way, way back in Genesis. His schemes have not really changed that much. We've just not gotten any better at resisting him. But we see the temptation of Jesus, and obviously Jesus' triumph over that temptation. Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life. But we're not going to spend any more time there just on those two verses. I want us to see, secondly, he declares war there. He declares war. But secondly, I want us to see this one of the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. Verse 14, in Mark chapter 1, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was the beginning of, of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Many believe he spent over half of his earthly ministry in the region of Galilee, healing the sick, combating Satan, preaching the gospel. I want us to notice this morning three quick elements that Jesus emphasized when he preached the gospel. Three elements, the kingdom, repentance, and belief. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus was laying a blueprint for what preaching the gospel should look like. It should be focused on his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. It should be about his kingdom, number one. It should be about repentance. And by the way, if I may boldly say this morning, a gospel that is presented without repentance is not a true gospel. I'll repeat it. A gospel presented without repentance is not a true gospel. You cannot believe in something until you understand that you were dead in your sin and you understand there needs to be a difference. You cannot believe on something until you understand your lost condition this morning. And then kingdom, the kingdom preached, repentance preached, and then belief, faith, trust, surrender, other words that we could use, but belief. And that blueprint that Jesus used, and by the way, this was Jesus' first public declaration of the gospel, uh, obviously, when he was twelve years old in the temple, there were a lot of things that he he said, and there's not all of those recorded necessarily in scripture. but this was his first kind of public sermon preaching the gospel. And that got me thinking. I've been in ministry now coming up on fifty I was starting my fifteenth year pretty soon. I know I don't look that old, but uh, I started when I was four, I'm just kidding. but uh started preaching in uh, in elementary school, but um but no. So for 15 years, been in ministry, and I think back, I was thinking back earlier this week about some of my first sermons. Let me tell you something. They were some doozies. I remember one of the first sermons I ever preached, speaking of no Bible, um, I picked three songs from the hymn book and preached on like three elements of something, and they were literally three songs from the hymn book. Like they should have tackled me and thrown me off the stage halfway through, um, but it was really neat because this week we I was able to move into uh, our, my office new uh, new office in the back back there, and one of my file folders says was labeled sermon ideas, and so I was able to and this was obviously back before I did everything digital, so I was able to like flip through and man let me tell you something, I can honestly say in my first public declaration of the Gospel. I did not preach the kingdom, repentance, and belief. I preached a whole lot of whatever in the world I felt like preaching at the time, whether it had Bible or whether it didn't. Every now and then I'd take a little phrase out of the Bible and I would use that as my as my springboard to talk about anything that I wanted to talk about. But Jesus, much different than your pastor, thank goodness, his first public declaration of the Gospel, his first Sermon that he preached was the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, no doubt, preached quite differently than my feeble attempts at early preaching. But make no mistake, the number one weapon that we have, the number one weapon that you have. The number one weapon that we have as a church family in this fight, in this war that we have against the devil is the bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bold proclamation of the gospel. Satan comes and declares war in our lives and and he wants those strongholds and he knows the areas in our life where we're the weakest and our best and the first thing that ought to happen is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, it'll convict the sinner. It'll convince the skeptic. It will motivate the indifferent. It will humble the proud. It will give grace to the legalist and I needed that as a legalist. It will save the lost. It will lighten the darkness and it will give life to the dead. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when when the devil comes at us in this war that we face, in this declaration of war, when he shoots his arrows at us, the arrow that comes back should be the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love and his mercy and his grace. And for the devil, the ultimate ending. The ultimate ending that because of this gospel, he will spend eternity in that lake of fire. He'll spend eternity forever doomed. This morning, in this war that has been waged on all things pure and all things right and all things holy, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel is our first line of defense. Our first line of defense. It shouldn't be, well, listen, when all else fails, I'm going to turn to Jesus and see if he can take care of the problem. I'm going to do everything I can, and then you know what? If I can't figure it out, I guess I'll run to Jesus. No. War was declared by Satan and Jesus immediately comes preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. So this war is waging. Satan with his temptation and evil and all the forces of darkness and now Jesus coming with light and life and gospel and grace. Thirdly, I want us to see this this morning, the assembly of the team. The assembly of the team Verse 16, as he walked by the sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. While Jesus had all power to perform his earthly ministry all by himself, he had all power in the world to do this on his own. That was not God's plan. His plan was that radical preaching and This radical man named Jesus would attract people. This war needed an army. This war needed some soldiers. And here we find him calling Simon, Peter, and Andrew, two fisherman brothers, with a simple, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then he calls two more fisherman brothers, James and John, with the same call. Follow me. Me. Our Christmas theme this year was come and see. And really, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to these men. Hey, listen, you may have heard. You may have heard what John the Baptist has said. Come and see. Follow me. Uh, let's, let's, Let's leave where we're at and let's let's see what God has for us. Here's a couple of truths I want us to know, notice from this portion of the text Jesus called them to leave everything to follow him James and John left their father left family to follow Jesus that's tough isn't it a lot of you and a lot of us are tight knit with our families that's not a bad thing we ought to love our families But the call that Jesus had on the life of his disciples was, hey listen, leave what you're doing and who you're with and follow me. For James and John, it meant leaving their father. For Simon and Andrew, it meant leaving their business, fishing. It would be the equivalent of you being a business owner, you and your brother running your own business and making money and, and, and providing for your family. And Jesus saying, hey, I want you to leave that business and I want you to follow me. But what about, what about our projected first quarter earnings? I watch Shark Tank. I know all this stuff. Professional. But what about that idea that we had that we were going to launch in the summer? Hey, what about that new area we were going to fish in? That we heard about. You know, the call that Jesus gave them was to leave. Was to leave behind. It was to leave everything. And to follow him. Not only that. Jesus called them to a life of spiritual influence. Jesus basically says, listen guys. And it, this is not written in the text. I may be reading in just a tad. But imagine Jesus saying... You've been successful at what you're doing. You've been fishing. You've been providing financially for your families and for your friends. And and you've you've done well. But I would like to call you away from just a life of money or just a life of earning. And I'd like to call you to a life of spirituality. Calling you out maybe from a life of financial prosperity into a a life of spiritual prosperity. Prosperity and don't think that word means the same as financial prosperity. But Jesus called them to a life of spiritual influence. I guess my question to you today is are we willing to follow Jesus and gain spiritual influence, even if it means it costs us a little bit of our earthly clout, our earthly desires, our earthly plans. So Jesus called them to leave everything, but he called them to a life of spiritual influence. And they responded with immediate obedience. Immediate. I love that word. It's said actually three times in our text. But immediately, Jesus asked them, and immediately they left their nets and they followed. Immediately. I have to be honest and say there are times in my life where the Holy Spirit's prompted me and I've delayed. I have to be honest. What I often find is in those those times when the Holy Spirit has prompted me and I have delayed, that oftentimes those opportunities don't come around again. That person that the Holy Spirit prompted me to speak to, I don't usually see that person again. That need that the holy spirit prompts me to meet i typically don't encounter that same need from that same person again i believe following jesus says hey when you tell me to move i move when you tell me to give i give when you tell me to love i love when you tell me to say something i say something when you tell me to when you tell me to i do what you say i do For these first four disciples of Jesus, it was immediate. Three out of these four men would go on to become part of Jesus' inner circle. Sorry, Andrew. You didn't make it. But they would experience some incredible, incredible events as a member of this army of Jesus in this war that was waged. I wonder this morning, have you left your boat? And committed to following Jesus. The life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is not the life of someone who simply adds Jesus to your already busy schedule. It's not someone who just says, if I can fit Jesus in, I'd love to. No, it's completely rearranging you In light of him. It is completely rearranging your plans. In light of his plans. It's completely rearranging your life. In light of his life. Are you a disciple of Jesus? I didn't ask you if you prayed a prayer in Sunday school one day. I ask you if you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus. By the way, as we study through this gospel and and other gospels in the future, Jesus did not go into cities and say, come pray this prayer after me. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. We need to make sure that we understand the difference between a quick sales pitch convert and a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. I personally believe that many people are saved truly biblically believing, repenting and believing in in that conversion moment. I'm not against that. In fact, we'll have an opportunity to do that at the end of this service. But I believe that should push us into a life of being discipled and following Jesus. And he continues to call us and pull us and we continue to give and obey. He continues to call us and pull us and we continue to obey and we continue and we continue. And we look back in 10 years and we say, man, I had no idea what I was getting into with this following Jesus thing. But here I am 10 years later. Man, who would have ever thought that we'd be doing what we're doing right now? That's the life of a follower of Jesus. By the way, this passage, we spoke of war being waged, and how many of you understand this morning? We're still in the middle of that war. We're still in the middle of Satan throwing temptation after temptation, trial after trial, our way. By the way, Jesus has not stopped calling people to follow him, to leave their nets, to be a committed disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning, where are you at in that battle? Satan is pulling. Jesus is pulling. And by the way, If you'd like to straddle that fence, that's fine. Straddle it for about that long. Because as Satan pulls, and as Jesus pulls, you begin to be stretched. And not to be too graphic, over time, you get completely ripped apart. Where are you at in the battle? Satan is tempting, Jesus is calling. Satan is tempting. Jesus is calling. That's what we just saw in these verses. And I ask you, teenager, adult, I ask you, new to church, I ask you, been in church your whole life, where are you at in that spiritual battle? The first step in that spiritual battle is to make sure you're on team Jesus, to make sure he is your savior, to make sure you've given your heart and your life to him, you've repented of your sin, you believed on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. That's step one. But I ask you, those of you that would say this morning, that's me, I, I'm a believer in Christ. Okay, so where are we at in this battle? Satan's tempting us. And Jesus is calling us. He's calling us deeper. He's calling us further. He's calling us closer. Where are we at? If we're not careful, what we're going to do is we'll find ourselves leaning this direction because the temptation is just so difficult and over time Satan wears us down. And before we know it, we look back and we think, man, I remember, man, you remember back in the day? Man, I remember when God used to. I remember those times in my life where I was super sensitive to what Jesus had for me. I remember back when, and everything in your life spiritually is past tense. I don't know about you this morning. I think I thank God for what he's done in the past. I do. Praise him. Praise the Lord for what he's done in the past. But you know what? I'm thankful for what He's doing right now in my heart, and right now in my life, calling me to be a deeper and more committed follower of His. And I look forward to the future of Jesus. What does it look like to 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 follow You into my future? Where are You at today? If you always, if the best times of your spiritual life are always looking back, I encourage you today, maybe right where you're sitting, just to recommit yourself. That I want to be a deeper, more committed follower. Of Jesus Christ. You know why? It's important. You know why? We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. Satan wants nothing more than to have you, to, to influence you, and Jesus wants nothing more than to draw you closer and closer to himself. Heavenly Father, use us today in your service. God, I pray that today you would that you would call maybe those in our service that are Far from you, maybe they're believers, maybe they truly had a salvation experience today, God. and like many people they 've just kind of allowed life to happen. and when we're not intentional about following Jesus, we could find ourselves oftentimes down the road we call some people call it backslidden, some people call it far from God. Today, may we recommit to be followers of Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystone If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.